Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the last man standing with loserpool.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this edition, we'll be looking back at that comfortable victory over Standard Liège. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna with me, Harry Simiou. Uh, on today's edition, it's a live stream, another live one coming at you. Uh, so a big hello to those of you tuned in, uh, whether it's via YouTube, Twitter or Facebook. Um, and a big hello to, of course, those listening back later on uh, via the audio platforms or, of course, watching the replay. Now, on today's edition, we're going to be focusing on that comfortable victory over standard Liège. Um, Arsenal ran out 4-0 winners in the end. It was a bit of a Martinelli show, wasn't it? He was fantastic, the young Brazilian. And we're going to come on to talk about individual performances uh, in a few moments' time. But in terms of the overall game, I thought it was a relatively easy night for Arsenal. And I don't want to take anything away from the positives, but I thought standard Liège were bloody awful. I think they're an awful football team. And, um, you know, sometimes when you look at the standard of some of these Europa League sides, you do wonder, um, you know, whether it's worth even having this competition. And I know it's a gateway back into the Champions League for us, but I feel like, you know, European football is devalued slightly when you have to play against sides of, of this level. I feel like, you know, the gulf between somebody like Arsenal and Standard Liège is huge. And, you know, granted, Standard Liège, they produce players. They have done for years and years and years, but obviously they're not in a position where they can hold on uh, to their players. And, uh, you know, it ends up in in sort of non-contests like this. And Arsenal's second string, if you like, found it so easy. So, you know, I guess this is why I can't really get excited for the Europa League at this stage. I mean, I'm, I must admit, once you get to the sort of quarterfinals, semifinals and the Champions League side start dropping into it, that changes a little bit. But Overall, uh, you know, I find it hard to get excited um, for this kind of game. And I guess that's why the stadium was pretty much half empty last night as well. Uh, but let's look at the positives. Let's talk about um, some of the individual performances, put my feelings about the Europa League as a competition to one side. When you look at some of those individual performances, I guess the one that stood out to me was was that of Gabriel Martinelli. Now, much has been made of the fact that Martinelli is not a centre-forward by trade. Um, that's not his natural position. He prefers to operate from the left-hand side as a sort of uh, a wide forward. And Emery's been quite vocal about that in, in the last few days, making that point that Gabriel Martinelli isn't a striker, um, that we shouldn't really have those expectations of him. But my God, he's not bad in that position, is he? Two expert finishes in particular the header I thought the header was superb I thought it was fantastic the cross as well from Tierney but we'll come on to talk about Tierney in just a moment let's let's look at Gabriel Martinelli and what he brings to this side and he brings uh, a sharpness he brings uh, the ability to beat a man he's lively he's quick he's skillful he's very aware of his surroundings and even in that central center forward position which often you know, you can find yourself being sort of man marked out of a game. You can find yourself with not very much space and you can find yourself being in a position where your sort of primary 
responsibility is then to provide assists and bring other people into the game because maybe ne- you're not necessarily finding the space yourself. But Martinelli makes that space. And granted, you know, the teams he's played against haven't been of the greatest standard, but, you know, this is a young kid who's coming from Brazil for a really, really low fee. Um, a player who had a good reputation in his homeland, but let's let's face it, was relatively unheard of on foreign shores. He's come here, he's settled in brilliantly, and I think his attitude is top-notch. And, you know, for me, he's a really, really exciting prospect. And when I look at last night's game and I look at all those young players, he's the one that, for me, stands out and the one that I'm most excited about seeing play next. So, you know, brilliant, really positive, really happy uh, with that acquisition so far. Kieran Tierney, of course, played at left back and I thought it was another really, really solid performance from Kieran Tierney. Um, Gets forward well. Uh, He's got a great delivery on him. Um, As we've seen, he's uh, very sensible in his delivery, I think. I I noticed a couple of times the ball would make its way out to him and, and he had that sort of presence of mind to stop, have a look and pick someone out. And there was one ball that he played back, I think it was, um, where he picked out a cross. I can't remember who it was to, but he literally checks and he looks. And if he does take the cross first time, he's already looking at where he's going to put it. And it's it's placed. It's not just a random, uh, you know, launch into the penalty area. There is a method to what Kieran Tini's doing. And I think he's very calm, very composed. Showed a bit of fire as well when uh, Martinelli was taken out by the standard Liege defender, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I like to see him standing up for his teammates. That was great. Um, but yeah, really, really positive signs again from Kieran Tierney. It's another 90 minutes under his belt and fingers crossed he'll be ready to feature in the Premier League sooner rather than later. Hector Bellerin, of course, played on the other side as well and he got some game time as well. He was the captain last night and uh, he's been on social media talking of uh, what a great honour it has been to captain this club. So uh, great to read that sort of comment as well from uh, Hector Bellerin. Uh, he's obviously someone who's very proud and, and we're happy to have him back. Um, in terms of defensively, you know, we haven't really seen Tierney tested yet, um, but that's no fault of his own and it shouldn't be held against him. It's just that the teams that he's happened to play against have been relatively weak and he's had sort of uh, carefree evenings, which is, you know, it's just part of football, isn't it? That's that's You can only play against what your opponent brings to the table. So, it's not a positive on his part, but, you know, it will be interesting to see how he copes defensively, whether he's a little bit more conservative uh, in certain games. Um, and the same goes for Bellerin. But as it goes, I feel like Bellerin is maybe a little bit behind Tierney in terms of his fitness and his, uh, you know, his sharpness, his match fitness. I think that Bellerin still looks a bit not unfit or or anything like that, but he, he just doesn't look in tip-top shape. He doesn't look like the Hector Bellerin that we know. Perhaps he's been cautious uh, through his recovery. I don't know, but it feels like uh, Hector Bellerin is maybe playing a little bit with a handbrake on, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, in terms of the team selection, Unai went with uh, Emmy Martinez in goal, who, as it goes, I thought had a couple of dodgy moments in the first half when crosses were coming over in particular. Didn't look very assured, but, you know, um, just a couple of off moments. I still think he's a very good goalkeeper. Um, and fingers crossed, you know, he can push Bernd Leno for that number one spot. Uh, he then went with uh, Bellerin at right back, a centre-back pairing of 
Shkodran Mustafi and Rob Holding. Rob Holding again getting another bit of game time under his belt. Again, I feel like Rob Holding slightly playing with a handbrake on as well. But it's understandable. I'm not having a go at these players for that. I feel like they, um, you know, they need to manage their recoveries properly. It's really, really important. And again, they weren't exactly tested. So, um, you know, it is it is what it is at the end of the day. Tierney played left back, as I've said. Uh, and guess what? Shkodran Mustafi in his last three appearances has kept three clean sheets. There you go. That's a statistic for you. Um, but, you know, Shkodran's got a point to prove now. He's been left out. He's been banished to the sidelines. He's clearly uh, part of the second string now rather than the first team. And, um, you know, he'll have to be patient and wait for an opportunity to get back in. And when he does get that opportunity, he'll have to take it. Uh, in the midfield, it was Danny Ceballos, Joe Willock and Torreira. That's it. Um, that's what he went with. And for me... I thought Willock was really good. Got himself on a score sheet as well, which was fantastic. Um, really, really good finish. Love the look of Willock. I've, I've loved the look of Willock pretty much every time I've seen him play this season. So that's great. Positive. The more games he gets under his belt, the better as well. Um, so Bios, we know what he's about. Silky. Um, loves a step over. Loves a change of direction. Uh, loves to twist and turn his man, which is great. Um there's a time and a place to do it, but last night was a time and a place to do it. So no issues with that. Got his first goal for the Arsenal as well, which is massive uh, for him. And uh, in terms of getting, you know, that duck off his back and getting the confidence flowing through. Um, I want to talk about Lucas Torreira a little bit because, you know, there's been lots of debate around Torreira in recent weeks. People have been talking about him playing this slightly more advanced role, which I don't necessarily think suits him. I don't think that that is his game. I think that Lucas Torreira is a, uh, a deep-lying midfield player um, and he's there to break up attacks. He's there to That's what he's there to do. He's there to be tenacious. He's there to provide a screen in front of the back four uh, and, and dispossess the opponents, make interceptions, etc., etc. But it feels like Lucas Torreira, and I don't know if this is off his own back or if this is under Unai Emery's instructions, has got this desire to play further forward. He's got this desire to be part of the build-up play. And I don't necessarily think it suits him. And I think that we're not seeing the best of Lucas Torreira as a result. He's got to be part of a two-man pivot for me. He can't be the only man uh, protecting the back four. And the reason I say that is because I don't think he's necessarily comfortable enough to get the ball um, off of the back four when dealing with a press. Now, people will point to Torreira's time in Italy, um, a league, of course, which I cover very, very closely. But the difference was in Italy that it was very rare that when you, if you drop deep enough to get the ball off your defence, it was very rare that you'd have an opposition striker pressing you or, you know, right up your backside trying to get the ball off you. The approach there is very different. The tempo is a lot slower and often... Torreira would be able to drop back, get in sort of in line with his back four, receive the ball, and then take a few steps forward and then start play. It's very different in the Premier League. You don't have that time. You don't have that luxury of being able to, to dwell on the ball. Um, and for me, Lucas Torreira hesitates sometimes when it comes to picking the right pass. So for me, you know, he, he's still a player that has a lot to offer. Um, I've not been particularly impressed with him since probably midway through last season now. Um, there were lots of rumours in the summer about him wanting to move away. 
Uh, and that obviously didn't materialize. You know, there were talks of him wanting to reunite with Marco Gianpaolo at AC Milan, who's probably going to get sacked, by the way, the way they're going. Um, but I, I feel like something's not quite right with Lucas Torreira. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I think he's slightly being misused, but I also think um, there is something there on his part. Maybe he's not overly happy. Uh, maybe he's not 100% um, pleased or he hasn't 100% bought into what Unai Emery's uh, looking to do for him or what his plans are for him. But in terms of the overall system, um, you know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles played on the right. Um, Gabriel Martinelli through the middle and Reese Nelson played out on the left. Uh, in terms of the overall system, I thought we had a lot more balance to us. Um, I think the midfield had that balance between the tenacity of Torreira, albeit they weren't overly tested yesterday, but it had that tenacity um, and it had the, the creativity in, in Ceballos and the ability to get on the ball. But it also had Joe Willock doing a sort of Aaron Ramsey-like role, which was arriving late in the box, undetected and causing danger to our opponents. And, and I thought, um, you know, that trio, whilst it might not necessarily be everybody's first choice, it had the right balance. And often it's not just about individual attributes. It's about finding the balance. It's about finding three midfield players who complement each other. And I thought they did um, in the game last night. Uh, Reese Nelson on the left. I've already spoken about Martinelli, so I'm not going to go into him again. He was just brilliant. Uh, there's nothing really more to say. Uh, Reese Nelson for me, um, you know, he comes with a lot of hype, Reese Nelson. And I've said it on this podcast before. I'm going to say it again. The first half of his loan spell at Hoffenheim, he was brilliant, excellent. But in the second half of the season, it dropped off quite significantly. And you know, he, he's come in, he's had a few opportunities in the first team, not necessarily grabbed them with both hands, in my opinion. Reese Nelson certainly has the ability to go by his man, um, to to bomb down the left-hand side, to take players on, to cut balls back across the goal. But I think he's still missing that little something. And that is, in my opinion, the end product. And it could be that, you know, it could be a misplaced pass or a misplaced cross. It could be uh, a timid shot into the arms of the goalkeeper, which we saw a couple of times yesterday, a couple of efforts sort of wayward as well. But it feels like this is confidence. When I look at Reese Nelson, I see ability. There's no question about that. But I don't necessarily see the confidence. And I think the only way he's going to get that is by playing as much as possible, by scoring goals, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I always say this, don't I? With young players, it's very difficult to to get consistency out of them. And, and Nelson, you know, there's a comment here from Matt Hales. Nelson created chances. His final ball was a lot better. He did create chances. Yes, he did. But, you know, we were playing against a very, very poor opponent. Um, it was a fullback that he had the beating of all day. And I wanted to see him make a real mark on the game, like Gabriel Martinelli did. And, you know, in theory, you'd think that Reese Nelson is further down the progression line and, and closer to a first team, you know, regular place than Martinelli. But for me, if I had to pick between the two, I'd prefer Martinelli on the left. Um, he had a little bit of time on the left when Aubameyang come on. And again, he showed that he can beat a man. He's decisive. He makes things happen all the time. Um, showed some brilliant trickery as well, which he ended up getting kicked the shit out of for. But yeah, so, you know, it's just, 
it's not that I don't like Nelson. It's not that I don't think he's got ability. It's not that I don't think he can be a very good Arsenal player. I just think that right now, he's not necessarily grabbing those chances with both hands, in my personal opinion. And another player who's definitely not grabbed his chance last night was Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Now, I have a lot of sympathy for Ainsley Maitland-Niles because I've said it for months and months and months. He's a player who, who clearly isn't a fullback. He's a player who has been doing a job for the team and deserves immense credit for that. But he got his chance last night to play further forward in a position that should be uh, more natural to him. And I thought he was poor. I thought he was crap. Um, he looks like someone whose confidence is completely shot. He looks like somebody whose attitude isn't right. And, uh, you know, it's, as a fan, I cannot tell you what Reese Nelson... Uh, Reese Nelson, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is like on the training ground. I don't know him personally. Never had a conversation with him or anything like that. Um, to know this for fact, but you know, there's he's got that whole casual approach, and there were sometimes he was really, really casual last night, and it just didn't strike me as the performance of a man who really, really needs to prove his point. A man who has been played out of position and needs to show the manager now that that's not his game, that that's not what he wants to be do. Uh, be doing sorry and give Unai Emery a real decision to make and I didn't think he didn't he did that yesterday so that was disappointing um he was hooked off as well uh Nicola Pepe come on um not going to really judge his performance last night it was a cameo role um but you know just to touch on it briefly I, I saw a player who clearly um He's trying too hard to score a goal at the minute. Um, but, you know, that will come. That will come. Patience um, and all that. But, yeah, just going back to Ainsley Metanales, I just, I felt, it was disappointing for me because, like I said, he, he he really had an opportunity against really, really weak opposition to show, you know, what he can do in a more advanced position to give Unai Emery something to think about. And he just didn't take it. So, you know, disappointing. Um, let's address the, the big issue, um, the issue that everybody's talking about, and that is uh, the future of Mesa Ozil. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that is our German playmaker, who once again was completely omitted from the squad. Now, what are my thoughts on this? I rate Mesa Ozil as a player. Um, I still think he's a lot better than some of the alternatives that Arsenal have at their disposal. There's clearly an issue between him and Unai Emery. That's been rumbling on since last season. But for me, it's getting out of hand now. It's getting silly and it's an unhelpful situation. Now, um, spoke to Jeremy Aliadier on the Manchester United Review, which you can check out. Uh, you can uh, look at the previous episodes. You'll find that. And Jeremy said that this kind of situation is not helpful to a dressing room. Mesut Ozil is a very popular figure amongst these peers. And I'm sure they'll be looking at this situation and trying to understand why he's being treated this way. Now, has Mesut Ozil always performed to the best of his ability for Arsenal? No, he hasn't. Um, even the biggest of Mesut Ozil fans would have to admit that. And I'm cool with that. You know, I, I don't disagree with that. And we were talking about the game up at Old Trafford and, you know, did... Um, you know, would you have started him and would you have played him all the way through against Manchester United? Maybe not. And that's a perfectly fair opinion to have. You know, there's lots of people 
that don't really think that Mesut Ozil is right for that type of game, for that type of fixture, um, and that you need someone a little bit more industrious, a little bit more hardworking, etc. And I get that. But what I can't accept is that Mesut Ozil is not at least good enough to be in Arsenal's 18-man squad. That drives me mad. He is definitely good enough uh, to at least be in that squad if he's not going to start. And Unai Emery has made this now, in my opinion, a, a personal issue between the two. And, you know, Ozil has time on his contract. Um, but for me, I, I think that you're going to see Emery leave before Ozil does. Um you know, there's a really good chance of that happening. And there's talks about Arsenal trying to loan him out in January and all this. And I've got a feeling that Messi's going to dig his heels in. What I have been surprised about is that he's not spoken out about it. Neither of his representatives. It's been kept under wraps. So I, I do wonder, um, you know, what is going on there. But just touching on, on Emery's comments post-match when he was asked about Ozil. I'm just going to bring this up for those of you watching live. You'll see this on your screens now. Um, this is from Football.London, who, uh, of course, in the press conference, James Bench, uh, top lad. He was there um, and he, he's obviously written this live blog and he says, what does Ozil have to do to get back into the team? That's the question that was put to Unai Emery. And he said, I'm thinking every time the best players for the match, the best players in the squad to play and help us. When I decided he isn't in the squad, it's because I think other players deserve it more. Other players deserve it more based on what? Based on the, the work they're putting in in training? I don't know. None of us can honestly answer that. And that, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? So it's really difficult to, to pass any judgments um, and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I really don't know what to say. I think that... This is a situation that, like I said, isn't isn't helpful. It's going to rumble on. And Unai is best off tackling this properly. I don't think he's handled it properly. I think he's been quite um, vague in the way he's addressed the supporters in regards to it. Um, he's not been clear for his reasons. He just said he, the other players deserve it more. Why? Is it because... Ozil's not training well? Is it because Ozil's not up to standard in terms of fitness? I, I don't know. But Unai Emery's press conferences are really, really difficult to dissect and to understand. And what that is doing is it is, it is causing a divide between Unai Emery and some supporters because, you know, as a manager, your media trained. It's really important to be and I'm not saying you need to be 100% transparent and you need to disclose everything to the fans. I'm not saying that for a minute. But what you need to do is you need to, you know, you need to at least get the buy-in to what you're saying. And I feel like he's just throwing these cryptic comments away uh, around about Mr. Ozil. He did it before the United game. Nobody's any wiser about the situation. And if you're looking at it based on pure footballing ability, there's no way that Mesut Ozil isn't good enough to at least be in that 18-man squad. So unless Emery's going to come out and tell us the reason, um, and, you know, if it is an attitude problem, then I'm sure the fan base will get behind Emery on that. But the way it's being handled now is very secretive. It's very sinister, I would say, and it's very... 
unhelpful because now you know every game we play is overshadowed by the fact that Mesut Ozil isn't in the squad and that's not where the focus should be so yeah I, I guess those are my thoughts on it like I said he's not always performed to the best of his ability for Arsenal completely get that but does he deserve to be frozen out of an 18-man squad completely not in my opinion let me know what you think in the comments uh Ozil in or Ozil out um that's what I want to hear uh leave it in the comments and we can uh touch on some of those uh, a little bit later on. Now, I was going to share with you guys my uh, starting lineup for the Bournemouth game, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, we'll do that uh, first thing tomorrow morning. Um, another episode uh, will come out and we'll focus solely on that fixture um, because it is a Premier League game. It is a very important game in its own right. And so I'd like to focus on that uh, in a lot more detail. But yeah, so my overall thoughts on the, on the game against Standard Liège, a comfortable win, positive win, some positive performances from some of the youngsters. Um, the step up between this kind of fixture and a Premier League game, though, is huge. So I would advise caution um, when it comes to some of these young players and what they're capable of. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take encouragement from, from the game. It was a good, balanced performance. Uh, again, Freddie Lundberg was noticeably more involved on the touchline, just like he was in the Carabao Cup game. Um, and I think he's been not given the reins completely, but I think he's been given a lot more responsibility uh, when it comes to handling these youngsters and, and picking the teams and sort of guiding them. And there was a few times you could see him sort of advising Joe Willock on the touchline. Perhaps he was uh, guiding him as to how to get in the box late uh, and make an impact because I tell you what, um, you know, Freddie Lundberg was fucking excellent at that, wasn't he? He was fantastic. So uh, that brings us to the end uh, of another live episode. A big thanks to everybody for tuning in. Really, really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll be back uh, very soon with a, a look ahead to that Bournemouth game, which is a, a massive game at home, two o'clock Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah. So uh, until then, guys, Take care of yourselves, Anna. We'll be back very soon. All the best. Cheers.